We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 496 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, January 30th, 2023, and Super Bowl 57 is set. February 12th, State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona, the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Kansas City Chiefs, a.k.a. The Andy Reid Bowl, right? His first team for which he was an NFL head coach versus the team for which he currently is an NFL head coach. Did you enjoy your conference championship Sunday? What a dud! The NFC championship game ended up being a 31-7 Eagles beatdown of the San Francisco 49ers who lost both their starting quarterback, Brock Purdy, who of course was their QB3 and lost their backup quarterback, Josh Johnson, to injury. Uh, The Niners in their 2022 season ultimately saw four quarterbacks go down to injury. Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo, Brock Purdy, and Josh Johnson. What we had with the Niners on Sunday was absurd. Purdy coming back into the game of having suffered what could be a serious elbow injury and basically being incapable of throwing the ball. Uh, Why the NFL got rid of the third quarterback rule, I do not know. Why we have these dopey game day inactives in the NFL, I'll never know. Uh, I got to tell you, I was so rooting for Josh Johnson, as in, right, 2018 Redskins quarterback Josh Johnson to somehow pull off the miracle. I mean, how humiliating for the Eagles would it have been for them to have lost a home NFC championship game with the Niners down to their fourth quarterback of the season in the well-traveled Josh Johnson, but uh, Johnson suffered a concussion. It's crazy with Josh Johnson, right? He, for the 2018 Skins, was their fourth quarterback of the season. He, for the 2022 Niners, was their fourth quarterback of the season. And then, with the AFC Championship game, uh, Chiefs kicker Harrison Butker, the tie-breaking 45-yard field goal with three seconds left in the fourth quarter, a 23-20 win over the Cincinnati Bengals. The field goal, one snap, 
after a 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalty by Bengals edge defender Joseph Osai, who you had to feel for. I mean, he overall had a really good game, uh, but that was a bad penalty. The late shove on Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes put the Chiefs in field goal position and Butker connected. There was some woeful officiating in these games, but that penalty on Osai, to me, was not an example of the woeful officiating. That's a penalty that's going to get called uh, third Super Bowl appearance in four seasons for the Chiefs. Not bad. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Speaking of the Chiefs, wouldn't it be nice to have a key member of their program on our team? Uh, well, uh, the Chiefs offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, he on Sunday morning came up as a potential candidate for the commander's offensive coordinator vacancy. Next segment, I will react to the possibility of what would be a home run hire for the commanders, at least in terms of perception. Eric Bieniemy, can the commanders pull off the coup of wooing Eric Bieniemy from the Chiefs to the commanders? Uh, I'll also react to something that was said on ESPN on Sunday. Did you catch this? The possibility of a head coach quarterback combination for the commanders of you ready for this Sean Payton and Tom Brady uh this is a special installment of the Al Galdi podcast a 40th anniversary tribute to the Redskins first Super Bowl title uh this episode of the pod is for Monday January 30th 2023 it was on January 30th 1983 that we had Super Bowl 17, the Skins over the Miami Dolphins, 27-17 at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. Now, I have zero memory of this game, okay? I'm not going to be a phony and tell you how I remember all these things about this game. I was three years old at the time of the game. But this game was the beginning, the first of the Skins' three Super Bowl titles in 10 seasons. Uh, coming up on the show, a special guest, the Skins' starting quarterback, for Super Bowl 17, the team's last true franchise quarterback, Joe Theismann, who, in addition to reminiscing about Super Bowl 17 and the 1982 skins, uh, also will talk about Commander's quarterback, Sam Howell, and what went wrong for Commander Carson, uh, also known as a Commander's quarterback, Carson Wentz, this season. Uh, Joe Theismann is always great to have on, a terrific storyteller, and always remember this with Joe regarding the current incarnation of the team. Uh, Joe is plugged in, okay? Joe is a made guy. He's an insider. He knows what's going on. Joe Theismann is coming up. Uh, also on the show, a ton for you from your Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. I'll talk Capitals. Uh, they got ripped at the Toronto Maple Leafs 5-1 on Sunday evening. Uh, I will talk Wizards, who, believe it or not, have won a season-best tying five consecutive games, a 113-103 win at the New Orleans Pelicans on Saturday night. And I'll talk college basketball. Uh, Maryland now is 500 in Big Ten play, thanks to an 82-63 ripping of Nebraska at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland on Saturday. Uh, Georgetown, a tough 75-73 loss at St. John's on Sunday afternoon. Uh, number seven, Virginia now has won six consecutive games, a 76-57 victory over Boston College at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. And Virginia Tech now has won 
back-to-back games off a seven-game losing streak and 85-70 win over Syracuse at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia. A loaded show, as is usually the case for a Monday installment of the podcast. Get on board with the Al Galdi podcast. Grow your business or practice by advertising on the pod. Podcast advertising works. is very affordable. In fact, we have special deals going on right now. Hit us up. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Yano on not one, not two, but three big events this week. Uh, writes Yano, Galdi, hope that you got some rest over the weekend, my friend. Big week this week, the one-year anniversary of 2.2.22, as you like to say. Maybe the Deadskins slash Commanders slash WTF will roll out some brand spanking new porta-potties for Ghost Town Field or embark on a new cruise on Dan's Yacht. And the day after that, number 500 for Galdi. The 500 Club, does that automatically make you a Hall of Famer <laughs> as you enter your age 43 season? Do you have the numbers to get on the Hall of Fame ballot? How will the great play-by-play guys call your 500th dinger at 5 a.m. on Friday? See Harry Callis for the legendary call of Mike Schmidt's 500th home run on April 18th, 1987. Not to mention the groundhog comes out soon as well. Maybe he will have some good news for those of us who hate winter. Cheers, Goldie. Keep up the good work. Yeno. Uh, thank you, Yeno. Yes, a lot be happening this week, including, yes, episode 500 of this podcast, uh, scheduled to be on Friday. Uh, but no, I am not a Hall of Famer. Uh, my career is tainted by a number of scandals and controversies, uh, not to mention alleged, and I stress that word, alleged performance enhancing drug use. You cannot prove anything. Don't forget that. Uh, email from Sterling Porter on something from my conversation with NFL analyst and Commanders fan Samuel Gold on last Thursday's show, episode 494, on which Samuel uh, gave us an excellent film breakdown of Sam Howell. We had Samuel on Sam. Uh, anyway, right, Sterling, I was confused on one part of your excellent interview with Samuel Gold. He mentioned that the Cowboys had nothing to play for in their final game of the regular season. Is that right? I thought the scenario was that if the Cowboys won and the Eagles lost, the Cowboys would win the NFC East. I find it interesting that the Cowboys' defense for the game was very vanilla. I wonder if Jerry Jones left ice cream in Dan Quinn's office. Maybe the Cowboys figured that the Giants had no shot to beat the Eagles. Uh, Then again, if I remember correctly, Dallas played its starters against the Commanders into the fourth quarter. Can you clarify this? Good job as always on the pod. And if I don't speak to you before then, congrats on 500 episodes. Well, thank you for that, Sterling. Uh, Good question. So you are correct. The scenario entering week 18 was that if the Philadelphia Eagles lost and the Dallas Cowboys won, the Cowboys would win the NFC East. The Eagles were home to the New York Giants, who were locked into being the NFC's second wildcard team and thus had nothing to play for and thus arrested a bunch of key players. And so what ended up happening was that the Cowboys like had one foot in and one foot out. They did play their key players for most of that game at the Commanders in Week 18. But A, as the game went on, the Commanders, of course, were dominating the game, uh, which they ended up winning 26-6. And B, as the Commanders' win over the Cowboys went on, it was clear that the Eagles were going to be defeating the Giants. And the Eagles ended up winning that game. The final score was 22-16, but the score in the third quarter was 19 nothing. What I think happened 
with the Cowboys in week 18 in terms of them playing key players for so much of the game is that the Cowboys were really bad at the Commanders, so bad that the head coach, Mike McCarthy, wanted to see his team play better before pulling key players. Uh, As you likely remember, Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott was awful in that game. You know, it's a funny thing with Dak. He, in two of his final three games this season, when you combine the regular season and postseason, was outplayed by rookie quarterbacks who were taken on day three of the 2022 NFL Draft. Uh, Sam Howell in the Cowboys' loss at the Commanders in Week 18, and the San Francisco 49ers' Brock Purdy in the Cowboys' 19-12 loss at the Niners in the divisional round of the playoffs. And yet, in between those games, what happened? Dak was outstanding in the Cowboys' 31-14 win at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the wildcard round. So you think about Dak's final three games this season. He, over those three games, outplayed the greatest quarterback ever, Tom Brady, but got outplayed by rookie quarterbacks who were taken on day three of the 2022 draft. Uh, go figure. You know, I also got this from Sterling Porter in a previous email, how Washington, with it in recent years, having had so many seasons with mediocre records, has been like the Michael Jackson song, wannabe starting something. Uh, right, Sterling? To me, the lyrics describe the imaginary hump that this team has not been able to get past for 30 years. Too high to get over, too low to get under, you're stuck in the middle. Uh, Great point, Sterling. Although, don't forget (laughs) the yeah, yeah, right? The way that the song goes is, it's too high to get over. Yeah, yeah. Too low to get under. Yeah, yeah. You're stuck in the middle. Yeah, yeah. And the pain is the thunder. Yeah, yeah. That last part very much fits our team, right? The pain is the thunder. A whole lot of thunder, as in pain, over the last 30 years. Well, a law firm that brings the thunder to those who have harmed you is Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. Uh, Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, this past July, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million dollars. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit PolsonandNace.com. That's PolsonandNace.com. And don't forget to tell Polson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Polson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Polson and Nace take care of your family.
Well, we have a new name to enter into the Commander's Offensive Coordinator sweepstakes. Kansas City Chiefs Offensive Coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Uh, we on Sunday morning had multiple reports that Bieniemy is in play for the Commanders. Uh, the news is broken by NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com. He early on Sunday morning tweeted, quote, the Commanders have yet to hire an OC and one reason why they've requested permission to interview Chiefs OC Eric Bieniemy, and he's emerged as a potential key candidate, sources say. He also was requested by the Jets, Titans, and Ravens for OC jobs, end quote. Uh, it was last Wednesday evening that we had multiple reports that the commanders were seeking to interview San Francisco 49ers assistant head coach and running backs coach and former Los Angeles Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn for the commander's offensive coordinator job. Uh, well, now that the Niners sees it is done, you would think that an interview with Lynn uh, will be happening soon. We'll see with the enemy. The Chiefs season is not done, but uh, we, of course, do have the bye week between Conference Championship Sunday and the Super Bowl. We also, of course, have to see if the commanders are granted permission to interview Biennemi or if he even wants to interview with the commanders. If you're wondering why in the world would Eric Biennemi leave the Chiefs for the commanders, well, understand a few things. Uh, number one, his contract with the Chiefs reportedly ends with this season. Uh, he last offseason reportedly re-signed with the Chiefs via just a one-year contract. Uh, number two, Biennemi does not call offensive plays for the Chiefs. Their head coach, Andy Reid, uh, does that. Number three, this season is Biennemi's 10th season as a Chiefs offensive assistant and fifth season as their offensive coordinator, and yet he still has not been hired as a head coach, uh, despite the Chiefs jaw-dropping offensive success for years now. So if you're Eric Bieniemy and you want to be an NFL head coach, but this still isn't happening, uh, maybe leaving the Chiefs and having success elsewhere is what you need to do, especially and elsewhere, like the commanders, uh, for whom, you know, the bar is rather low in terms of offensive success. Like if Bieniemy became the commander's offensive coordinator and the commander's offense was just like pretty good, uh, that may well be seen as a real win for Eric Bieniemy, getting an offense that for years has been so bad to be pretty good. Uh, now, it appears as if the competition for Eric Bieniemy uh, will slash would be fierce, right? The Baltimore Ravens, the Tennessee Titans, the New York Jets. We on Sunday night had the big news from the Dallas Cowboys, a mutual parting of the ways with offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. So the Cowboys now need an offensive coordinator. Perhaps the Cowboys want in on Eric Bieniemy. So the likelihood of the commanders landing Bieniemy uh, may not be exactly sky high, uh, but the commanders hiring him would be a perceived home run hire. And I say perceived because the truth is we have no idea who would be the best offensive coordinator hire for the commanders. We hear and read all of these names. We can look at all of these guys' resumes, but so much of this offensive coordinator search being gotten right is about fit. Who would make for the best fit 
for our commanders, given uh, their, shall we say, rather unique situation. Hard to say, especially when so many of the people who have come up uh, for the commander's offensive coordinator job are guys who have not served as offensive coordinators before. But as assistant coaches go, Eric Bieniemy is a big name and a respected name. And even though he has not been calling offensive plays for the Chiefs, just that he has spent a decade with arguably the single best offensive mind in the NFL, Andy Reid, and comes from an offense that is extremely progressive. Uh, heck yeah, I would be welcoming of Eric Bieniemy as commander's offensive coordinator with open arms. Uh, we also on Sunday had this with the commanders. And, you know, this is more wild perhaps even irresponsible speculation than anything else. But did you see what ESPN NFL analyst Rex Ryan said on ESPN on Sunday about the commanders? <laughs> he labeled them as a potential landing spot for both Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady, who is set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason, and former New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton, whose rights are still held by the Saints. Take a listen. I'm telling you, watch the the Washington Commanders in this. Huh? Well, because here's why. I know, but here's why. Randy, this is why I say it could happen. There's a strong possibility that there's going to be a change in ownership. All right? And when that happens, these owners aren't tied in to that coach. And, and to me, I can see a Sean Payton, Tom Brady. We talk about Miami. Well, when just the Miami contact and Brady, it was the Sean Payton. It was going to be that marriage of those two. So I could possibly see that down the road. I mean, if if he doesn't sign with the Raiders immediately, I could see this as a possibility. So how about that from Rex Ryan? How about that from old Sexy Rexy? Uh, to be clear, that was not a report. Uh, that was not even a rumor. That was, again, wild and perhaps irresponsible speculation. But uh, I will add this. ESPN NFL reporter Diana Rossini, uh, she last Tuesday morning tweeted regarding Sean Payton, quote, I was told there is also a team waiting in the wings watching all of this and could make a move if they get their ducks in a row, end quote. Rossini did not identify the team. I did say to myself when I read that tweet last Tuesday, hmm, I wonder, could that team be, might that team be the commanders? I mean, it is kind of odd how this Sean Payton domino is taking forever to fall. And that may well be the root cause of what has been a very slow coaching cycle in the NFL. Uh, among the many reasons, though, not to think that the commanders will be getting both Tom Brady and Sean Payton is that the sale of the team still is not expected to be completed until at least the NFL's annual league meeting. Understand the calendar. The NFL's annual league meeting is March 26th through the 29th. Uh, that is weeks after free agency and the trading period begin. That would almost certainly be too late for the commanders to do something like fire Ron Rivera, hire Sean Payton, and sign Tom Brady. And keep in mind with Sean Payton, you can't just hire him as your head coach. You also need to work out compensation 
for the Saints. So what Rex Ryan said on Sunday, definitely interesting, but uh, do not hold your breath. Well, this installment of the Al Galdi podcast is for Monday, January 30th, 2023. It was on January 30th, 1983, that the Redskins won their first Super Bowl title. Uh, Super Bowl 17, the Skins beat the Miami Dolphins 27-17 at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. The Skins in that game overcame a 17-10 halftime deficit, won the second half 17-0. The Skins defense in that game was tremendous. The Skins held the Dolphins to just 176 total net yards of offense, 76 of which came on one play. A first quarter 76-yard touchdown pass from Dolphins quarterback David Woodley to receiver Jimmy Cepelo. And uh, the Dolphins' other touchdown in the game was a special teams touchdown. A late second quarter 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown by defensive back Fulton Walker. And as for the Skins' offense in the game, well... Uh, The offense was highlighted by the single greatest play in Skins history. Running back John Riggins, fourth quarter, fourth and one, 43-yard I-formation handoff touchdown run, on which El Rigo broke through an attempted tackle by Dolphins corner Don McNeil, who had stumbled as the play was developing. He had stumbled uh, thanks to tight end Clint Didier having gone in motion. The iconic photo of McNeil falling off Riggins while holding on to Riggins' jersey is an all-timer. Here is the television call of the play, Dick Enberg and Merlin Olsen on NBC. Like a couple of expectant fathers, Shula pacing the sidelines, Gibbs irritated. There's Bill Arnsparger. Of course, he's made his defensive call. Let's see who'll win this battle of strategy. Riggins. He's going to go all the way. Unless Blackwood can catch him, and he can't. What a tremendous play. But the key to this play was motion. The motion man coming across and turning around, Don McNeil, cornerback, running with him, slipped and fell. His responsibility to get back to the outside to contain Riggins. He could not get there until the last second. Riggins ran through an arm tackle and carried it all the way into the end zone. Yes, he did. Classic stuff right there. Uh, John Riggins, the diesel, he, for the game, had 38 carries for 166 yards and a touchdown. Also had a reception for 15 yards. He was named Super Bowl 17 MVP. And the skin starting quarterback for the game is the man who joins me now. Redskins all-time great, Joe Theismann. Uh, he and Super Bowl 17 went 15 to 23 for 143 yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions. Also had three carries for 20 yards. And Joe, for the following regular season, the 1983 regular season, it was the Associated Press MVP. Uh, you could follow Joe on Twitter at Theismann7. Joe, it is great to talk to you. How are you? Good, Alan. And just as an FYI, I have a new Twitter account. Um, I wasn't able to find my password to renew everything. <laughs> so my new my new Twitter account is at Joe7Theisman. 
Oh, okay. Thanks for the update. Uh, has this been approved by the owner of Twitter, Elon Musk? Do we know? Uh, I, you know, he. I guess he he uh, he sent a tweet out. They gave him some kind of a name, and he can't change it. So I feel so bad. <laughs> well, if he's having problems, then we're all in trouble. I know that with Twitter. Right, right. Uh, well, anyway, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Do you ever get tired of talking about Super Bowl Seventeen, or not really? Oh, heavens no. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, that was such an incredible experience for us as a city and for us as a football team and for me personally. I mean, you know, as kids growing up, you dream about the opportunity to play in a Super Bowl. But I don't know if you ever give yourself the luxury of dreaming about winning one. And uh, to be a part of that football team and just to be part of that football team in that era. Uh, when Coach Gibbs, came, Coach Gibbs came here in 81 and then, of course, I had the opportunity to play for him up to 85. Um, it was an incredible run for us as a football team and to have a chance to be the quarterback of that football team was just a, it was a fun ride. I described ourselves as a bunch of characters with character, tremendous different personalities, but when it came time to play, everybody absolutely did everything they could for one another. The 1982 season was Joe Gibbs' second season as Skins head coach. Also was a strike-shortened season. Uh, each NFL team played just nine regular season games. Skins were 2-0, and then came the strike, and then you guys went 6-1 and the rest of the regular season, and then 4-0 and in the postseason. So 10-1 and after the strike. What do you remember about coming back from the strike and the team just catching fire like that? Well, you know, it was really interesting, Al, because we, we did start 2-0, and and we didn't really know how good we were. But if you go back to the end of the 81 season, we started 0-5, and we finished 8-3. and So we really started to find a, a bit of a stride at the end of the 81 season. Then getting into 82, we won those two, first two games, and then we went on strike. And what I did is I took the game plan from the, the second game, and I organized practices basically for the next – I wanted to say seven weeks, but we had we probably had over 35 guys at practices that, that I put together at one of the high schools for the next month. They Guys just kept showing up, and it was a great commitment of all the guys to come out and sort of stay in it instead of just disappearing and leaving. And I, I think that, that one month for us really helped us at the end of the season to sort of set up where we were going to go. And, of course, as you mentioned, it was a strike-shortened season, so everybody was a wild card. You had to play four games to get to go, but nothing compares to the the Dallas game at home. I mean, that was that was a, a game for the ages for us. When when you stand on the sidelines and people are pounding their feet on the seats and you the ground beneath your feet is shaking, it's like a surreal experience. Yeah, I wanted to ask you. It has been said that for the 1982 Skins, the win over the Dallas Cowboys at RFK Stadium in the NFC Championship game was the bigger win or the more memorable win as compared to the win in Super Bowl 17. Is that how you view things? I think it's a more memorable win, uh, you know, because of the familiarity. You're playing a hated rival, the Dallas Cowboys, for a chance to go to the Super Bowl, and you're playing them at home in front of your fans. Those factors make it an absolutely incredible experience. Now, you go to Pasadena and play in a Super Bowl. Remember, we didn't have two weeks. You know, we, we played the Cowboys, and we were on a plane on Monday, and we were, we were headed for Pasadena. It's, you know, we're going cross-country to go play uh, the Miami Dolphins in that Super Bowl. So you, you almost don't have time to think about and reflect on what took place. Now, after all these years, you get a chance to, to think about the incredible nature of that home game against the Cowboys. But, yeah, I mean – 
to say that the Super Bowl was anticlimactic would be wrong, but I will say that the game that stands out in my mind, even bigger than the Super Bowl for me, was the NFC Championship game. For you personally, the 1982 season was your age 33 season. You had been with the Skins for years at that point. You had had good seasons, but did you feel like you needed a Super Bowl title or a deep playoff run to be validated as a very good starting quarterback in the NFL, or did you not feel that way? Never crossed my mind. Never crossed my mind. Although I've always been sort of a guy of validation. It goes back to my high school days when I was at South River High School in New Jersey, and we used to play New Brunswick on Thanksgiving Day, and New Brunswick was a really good team. And if I play well, I belonged. Then I went to college, and I felt that same way about the University of Southern California because they had so many guys who went to the pros. If I could play well there, then I sort of belonged. And then when I got to when I got to Washington, I first obviously spent my first two years as a punt returner, which was sort of fun. Um, and then when I had a chance to play, it was always the Dallas Cowboys with that barometer. You know, if I could play well against them because they had so many All Pros and won championships, and they were a great team, then I felt like I belonged. But I never ever got to a point where I needed. Uh, I, I felt like I needed a Super Bowl to to validate. I felt like. Once I got into professional football and started to play a bit, I felt like I'd arrived. Now, the question was, how good was I going to be able to get? And how good were we going to be as a football team? You know, I tried to work on being a better quarterback, but certainly Bobby Beathard and Joe put the team around us to make us a better football team. One of the most famous things about Super Bowl 17 is what you said in the huddle prior to the game. Something, <laughs> <laughs> something that has been... Can we, do, can we do that on the air? Well, we'll, we'll do the clean version. But okay. uh, uh, forever immortalized by NFL Films, quote, we've worked harder than anybody to get here. Nobody can beat us. And it's worth $70,000 and a big ring, end quote. Uh, here's the audio. We've worked harder than anybody to get here. Nobody can beat us in a team, and it's worth seventy thousand. a big ring. All right, there you go. Did you plan on saying that? Did that just come to you in the huddle? It's amazing how something like that can become such a thing thanks to NFL Films. It just really just came to me. I mean, you know, I, I'd get the guys together and you'd say something. And now here we are at this moment in our lives where we're playing for a world championship. So I got everybody together. I said, look, you know, this is why we're here. This is it. And and this game is worth 72000 bleeping dollars and a big bleeping ring. And, and, you know, I see other guys get people together. You know, they have pictures of Drew Brees firing everybody up and everybody getting them together in the huddle. And, you know, we, we did a lot of sort of firsts back then. You know, we had the Fun Bunch, which was the first time they really, you know, celebrated. And, and so, uh, yeah, that one just, that just came to me. I mean, I, that was no premeditation there, I can tell you that. We so often hear about the importance of leadership at the quarterback position, and leadership is one of these things that's abstract and impossible to quantify, and yet we know that it exists. Were you always a leader as a quarterback, or is it more that you grew into being a leader as a quarterback? I, I think, you know, as a young, I started playing quarterback when I was 12. Matter of fact, my number was 52 in Pop Warner football. Oddly enough, funny that it added up to seven. Then I went to high school, and my number was ten. And again, I was I was fortunate enough to be a, a very good athlete. And I wound up in a position where you handled the ball a lot. And in the quarterback position is one where leadership, if you can develop or you are a, a leader, uh, it shows. If you're not, it shows as well. 
and and I always felt this way that I would work as hard as I possibly could. I was a skinny little kid. Uh, I didn't have the physical attributes that a lot of people you see today. And if I wanted to do something, I need to work really hard at it. So, you know, I, I just try to work hard. I think what happens with leadership, it's never what you say. It's what the guys observe about you. It's the way you interact with your teammates in business. It's the way you interact with the people you work with in, in offices. Or if you're a leader, it's the way you communicate to the people. You know, I never yelled at any of our guys. I give them a look. Something happened. But but I never yelled at them. And you never wanted to feel like you were above them. Um, I love what Mike Tomlin, the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, he talks about leadership. And he said, as his co- as his job as the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, it's my job to make sure that I can give every guy on this team the best possible support to be the best that they can be. And that's what I really tried to do as a quarterback. I tried to be able to give Art the best passes so that he could run or get the ball quick to John so that he could make a run. Uh, and then just sort of, you know, talk to the guys up front and then encourage the defense. I mean, one thing that doesn't really get focused on for our football team is the job that Richie Pettibon did for our football team on the defensive side. Do you know, to, to spin forward a year, our giveaway takeaway ratio, Al, in 1983 was plus 42, yeah. or 43, I think it was. I mean, people get to 15 or 16 now and they think they're world beaters. We had three times that. And that's how good that that's how good that team really was. And it really the foundation was laid in eighty two. But you know, leadership, I think you have to understand that you're under a microscope, especially today. Everything you say, everything you do, and the only way you can really, I think, lead is by being a hard worker, getting there early, knowing what you're supposed to do, and then give the guys as much support as you can to give them a chance to be as great as they can be. Much more with Joe Theismann in moments. I'm going to next ask him about the John Riggins touchdown run in Super Bowl 17. And still to come, Joe's thoughts on Commander's quarterback, Sam Howell. But if your thoughts include that you need to get where your money is going better organized, uh, no worries. Download the Hiatus app. Hiatus is a personal financial management app that allows you to take full control of your money. The Hiatus app is a great way of getting your bills, utilities, and subscriptions organized. Uh, get a better handle on where your money is going and download the Hiatus app. It's great. Hiatus allows you to see all of your subscriptions in one place and lets you cancel the ones that you don't want or need in just a few tabs. Hiatus can alert you if any of your monthly bills, like your cell phone bill or internet bill, are negotiable. And Hiatus has an in-house team that actually can negotiate and lower those bills for you. Download the Hiatus app from the App Store, from Google Play, or by going to hiatus.app. There's no cost to downloading the app. Download it and see what it can do for you. Again, download the Hiatus app from the App Store, from Google Play, or by going to hiatus.app. Hiatus, take control of your money. More now with Redskins all-time great Joe Theismann on this, the 40th anniversary of the Skins winning Super Bowl 17. Uh, the Skins in Super Bowl 17 scored three touchdowns. Two of them were touchdown passes by you, but of course, uh, the most famous touchdown in the game, and you know what I think is the most famous play in Skins history, is the John Riggins fourth quarter, fourth and one, 43 yard touchdown run. Uh, what actually was not the Skins' final touchdown in the game. Uh, your touchdown pass to receiver Charlie Brown uh, came after the Rigo run. But what are your memories of the Rigo run? I remember like it was yesterday, Al. It was fourth and one. It was seven to chip. Um, I turned around, and we had Clint Didier went in motion, started back, and came back. And as I handed the ball to John, I had the best seat in the house. I hand the ball to John. The hole opens up. I said, we got the first down. And then Dom McNeil hits him. And it looked like it looked like butter 
just falling off of a hot knife. <laughs> McNeil just sort of slid down his side, and then Jr. took off, and then I saw Clint Didier running down the field, and I'm chasing, and I'm running down, yelling at Clint, "Don't clip anybody! Don't clip anybody! Don't clip anybody! They're not going to catch him." And of course, Jr. gets in the end zone, and it's uh, you know an unbelievable play. But you know, again, uh, so much of what we were able to do had to do with certainly John's great ability. I was fortunate enough to play with someone like him, and as great as he is, that offensive line of ours was really special. Those guys were really, really special. A, a wonderfully cohesive unit. Coach Bugle did a fantastic job coaching them. You know, the one thing about Coach Gibson, and again, this is uh, to leadership, he recognized his strengths and he recognized other people's strengths. He let Richie do his job. He let Joe do his job. And, and Joe was not only our coach, but he was our, also our plate caller and our coordinator, uh, along with Dan Henning. So, I mean, everybody had sort of specific roles, and, and Coach knew how to put it all together. I mean, the, the, key to, the key to our football team in 82 were the people that – that were brought together, the different personalities. And that's why I say a bunch of characters with character. You know, you had JR, you had the Hogs, you had our defensive backs. You know, the way we, the way they came off the plane, they were all dressed in battle fatigues when they got off the plane to Pasadena. Yeah. The Smurfs went off to Disneyland. Our wide receivers went off to Disneyland because at that time they had a, you know, cartoon show on called the Smurfs. And so our guys were five foot eight and five foot nine, Alvin and Virgil. You know, Charlie and Art were the bigger guys and Art didn't play. So, you know, it was it was a bunch of, like I said, it was just a bunch of characters that blended, I think, in a fun way, uh, in a wonderful way together. You mentioned the 1983 Skins team. Uh, we know how that team season ended, but was that team actually better than the 1982 Super Bowl championship Skins team? We were. I think we were a better football team all the way around. Offensively, we were the highest scoring team in football. That had a lot to do with the fact that our defense took the ball away from people so many times. And we were given the opportunity to put points on the board. But, you know, at the end of 81, we were sort of finding ourselves. In 82, because of the short, short, short season, really didn't have enough games to, to figure out who we were. And in 83, when we got going, I mean, we lost two games that year by one point. That's how good we were. Uh, and like I say, highest scoring team in the history of football, plus 43 giveaway takeaway ratio. You know, Mike Nelms was incredible as a kick returner. Um, just so many different elements of that team were special. Uh, and, and, you know, to have a, a disappointing loss like we did in Super Bowl 18 um, was really, uh, really something. I got to tell you a real quick story. So I'm in Hawaii at the Pro Bowl after Super Bowl at 17. And I'm sitting with Bobby Baumauer, nose tackle for the Miami Dolphins. And I waited till Thursday. We're sitting under a palm tree sipping a libation and i said bob asked me i said what's it like to lose a super bowl he said joe it's the worst feeling in the world you wish to heaven you never got there because you work so hard and get so close and all of a sudden it doesn't happen and i'll never forget my words to him i said gosh i hope i never experienced that would you know it a year later wow i knew exactly what he was talking about you you climb that mountain like that the four teams this weekend you know they they're, they're in the two teams that'll be left they're climbing the mountain they're going up the mountain but there's only going to be two teams left standing and one of them is going to be able to stand at the top. Amazing how life can play with you like that. I can't have you on and not ask you about the commander's current quarterback situation. Uh, what do you think about Sam Howell? Well, I don't think Carson will be back. Um, I, I think Taylor might be on uh, the end of a contract. So Sam's last man standing, uh, which, and, and I thought he performed well, but I, it's hard to evaluate somebody on 20 passes. And the, and the Cowboy game was a very difficult game to evaluate anyway because, you know, they were so bad and we were really good on the defensive side. I think foundationally he's really good. 
now the question is, is what's it going to be like playing five, six, seven, eight, ten, fifteen games? You know, the durability. Be smart enough to be able to stay on the field. I tell young quarterbacks all the time, your single job is to make yourself available to be able to play in practice so you can get better. And I, I like I like everything about Sam. And I'm curious. Certainly, I believe we have the team around him, the wide receivers, the running backs. I offensive line, I think they'll find areas where that can improve and get better. And we've had guys nicked defensively. I thought we finished really strong. You know, our punter's the best in football. Our kick returners, you know, done a really great job. So, I mean, that's the one element that this football team has been missing. And, and Sam can be the beginning. And I'd love to see somebody play quarterback in Washington for more than a year or two. I think we all would. We're all looking for that next person. Al, they've had 43 starting quarterbacks since I got hurt. In <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's crazy. I think it's, somewhere, it's, it's crazy. It's time for somebody to take the job and go with it. Stay a while. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, one more for you. You mentioned Carson Wentz. Why ultimately did he not work out as a commander's quarterback? I don't know. I mean, I really, you know, I know uh, mechanically he, he struggled at times. Accuracy, he struggled at times. Um, after he got hurt, he just became a different quarterback. Um, he did a, he did a decent job in Indianapolis, and then you know, like I said, not playing, not getting into a rhythm is difficult. Uh, you know, I, I thought that you know, you know, Taylor would have had a better record had the refs not screwed us in the Giant game, and, and they admitted it. They made a mistake. Yeah. I've never, I, you know, you know, it's really out, really funny. I've never seen an official throw a flag for a wide receiver lining up since that game hmm. so you're telling me that every team has every receiver line up exactly where they're supposed to be and not be offside or not be whatever 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 penalty we got for that you know if, if, if we win that game taylor still stays the quarterback and then you know after carson's been off so long and then you put him out on the field i, I think he should have come out of that game after the second interception you could see at that point that it wasn't comfortable for him. But, you know, I don't know what happened. I know the economics won't work, so I'd be very surprised if he's back. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. I know that a lot of people listening are as well. Redskins all-time great Joe Theismann. Uh, follow him on his new Twitter account, at Joe7Theismann. Uh, Joe, thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Al. Great being with you. All right. Hope that you enjoyed our conversation with Joe Theismann. Uh, please consider rating and reviewing the Al Galdi podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review of the podcast. The review uh, does not have to be long. can be uh, just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast. And thank you for rating and reviewing the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, the Capitals are in a strange place right now. They have had some big wins lately, like the 3-2 shootout win over the Pittsburgh Penguins at Capital One Arena this past Thursday night. But the Caps also have suffered a lot of regulation losses lately. And the Caps on Sunday evening suffered yet another regulation loss in what was a dud of a loss. Uh, the Caps fell to 26-20-6 with a 5-1 loss at the Toronto Maple Leafs on Sunday evening. Uh, This was the Caps' seventh regulation loss in 11 games. The Caps, prior to this stretch, had suffered just one regulation loss over 15 games. Uh, Center Nicholas Backstrom on Sunday evening scored a power play goal 17-17 into the first period for a 1-0 Caps lead. They then, over the final two periods, got outscored 5-0. Like I said, a dud of a loss for the Caps. So here was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday night. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Caps insider Mike Vogel of WashingtonCaps.com. I thought the first period was good. The second period, we just, we didn't do, we didn't do the right things defensively and uh, it burnt us. It seemed like every four or five minutes there there was something there in, in the second and it wasn't like you guys were getting hemmed. It was no. like a mistake. No, it was, you're right, it was a mistake. It was out of position, wrong assignment and, uh, you know, it, it caught us. I don't think it was a overwhelming amount of pressure, but at the end of the game day, it's about details and I think the details in the second period weren't, were not good enough. No, they were not. Uh, Now, remember, the Caps are back to being without a lot of key players. So the Caps in this injury-ravaged season are back to being without a number of key guys. Uh, Not playing for the Caps on Sunday evening due to injury were defenseman John Carlson and forwards Tom Wilson, Nick Dowd, Connor Brown, and Carl Hagelin. Uh, The puck possession battle on Sunday evening was about even, but the goaltending on Sunday evening was not. Caps goaltender Darcy Kemper stopped just 16 
18 of the 20 shots on goal that he faced, and he got pulled in the second period in favor of Charlie Lindgren, who stopped six of the seven shots on goal that he faced. Uh, second time in four games that Peter Laviolette pulled Kemper in favor of Lindgren. Uh, winger Alex Ovechkin, he on Sunday evening went pointless, did have a game-high six shots on goal, a game-high nine total shot attempts, and four hits. The Camps actually outhit the Maple Leafs 40-28, but Ovi also finished next to last on the Caps in 5-on-5 shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 36.67. The Caps with Ovi on the ice in 5-on-5 situations in the game, 11 shot attempts versus allowing 19 shot attempts. And oh, by the way, the Maple Leafs goaltender on Sunday evening was former Caps goaltender Ilya Samsonov. He stopped 23 of the 24 shots on goal that he faced. And next up for the Caps at the Columbus Blue Jackets, Tuesday night at 7. In what is the Caps' final game until February 11th uh, due to the NHL All-Star break? And then the Caps' bye week. Well, the NBA trade deadline is coming up uh, February 9th at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the Wizards have been going nowhere for years. Uh, you certainly could argue that them blowing everything up is what they should do. But as we have discussed, that has not been what the Wizards have wanted to do. And now that the Wizards are winning, there would seem to be even less of a chance uh, of them blowing everything up. And look, blowing everything up guarantees you nothing regarding future success. But my concern with the Wizards right now is that their winning streak is going to further delude them into thinking they're close to anything significant. But the Wizards are winning. Uh, They now have won a season best tying five consecutive games. Uh, The Wizards improved to 23 and 26 with a 113-103 win at the New Orleans Pelicans on Saturday night. Uh, This despite remaining without Chris Dams Porzingis. He did not play due to the sprained left ankle that he suffered the previous Saturday night. Uh, This in the Wizards' 138-118 win over the Orlando Magic at Capital One Arena on Saturday night, January 21st. Uh, Also, Anthony Gill in this win at the Pelicans did not play due to being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. Uh, Monte Morris was back. He returned from a one-game absence caused by right hamstring soreness. The Pelicans were without Zion Williamson due to a right hamstring strain. Boy, he seems to never uh, be healthy. But the Wizards rolled to this win. Uh, They led for the entire second half. The Wizards held the Pelicans to just 8-29 on threes. The Wizards out-rebounded the Pelicans 53-42, including having 13 offensive rebounds to the Pelicans' 8, and thus 25 second-chance points to the Pelicans' 11. Uh, the Wizards won despite going just 11-36 on threes, and despite committing 18 turnovers to the Pelicans' 10. Uh, the Wizards also won despite two of their best players not having great games, although these guys did do some good things. Talking about Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma. Beal in 32 minutes, 31 seconds as a starter, went just two of six on threes and just three of 11 on twos. And he committed five turnovers, but he also went four or five on free throws and finished with 16 points, five assists, four rebounds, and a game best time plus minus rating of plus 14. Uh, Kyle Kuzma, 37 minutes, 38 seconds as a starter. He went just a two of nine on threes and scored just 10 points, but He went two of four on twos and also finished with nine rebounds and five assists versus two turnovers. And Kuzma deserves a lot of credit for his defense. He was a big part of the Wizards holding Brandon Ingram to just one of five on threes and just seven of 17 on twos. And Ingram committed six turnovers. Uh, The star of the game for the Wizards was Daniel Gafford. Uh, He had a great game on Saturday night 
Uh, Gafford, in just 29 minutes, 21 seconds as a starter, had 21 points, 12 rebounds, including five offensive boards, five blocks, and two assists versus two turnovers. He went 8 of 11 from the field, all twos, and 5 of 8 on free throws. Uh, this was Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference late night on Saturday night on Daniel Gafford. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Wizards insider Josh Robbins of The Athletic. Gaff had a, had a really big night. Um, obviously did a terrific job protecting the rim, five blocks, uh, his activity in the paint putbacks, you know, the drop-off passes, the roller. Um, I thought he had a huge impact um, on both sides. What do you think you, he can do to um, play like this every game? That's, That'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, but to be more consistent? Uh, I think he's been re- relatively consistent, honestly. Um, it's not always going to show up in the points column, but uh, I think he's done a terrific job um, as of late. You know, a handful of games just being a rim protector, um, putting pressure on the rim as a roller, as a offensive rebounder, um, you know, block, blocking shots, and, and a lot of times just the gravity of him rolling creates other opportunities. So th- those those situations, those points don't necessarily go to him, but uh, the gravity of his role does create opportunities for others. Yeah, it has been an up-and-down season for Daniel Gafford. As you may recall, he was barely playing for a while. He pretty clearly was in the doghouse of West Until Jr. for a while, but Gafford has been better lately, and he on Saturday night was a force. Uh, also, the Wizards on Saturday night got good production from their bench, especially Denny Avdia and Taj Gibson. Uh, Denny Avdia, he since the Wizards last Monday traded Rui Hachimura to the Los Angeles Lakers, has been playing more and has been playing well. Uh, Denny on Saturday night, 27 minutes, 21 seconds off the bench. He went one of three on threes, four of five on twos, and four of six on free throws. He finished with 15 points, nine rebounds, two steals, and a game-best time plus-minus rating of plus 14. Here was Wes Unsell Jr. during his post-game press conference late night on Saturday night on the performance of Denny Avdia. It's big. You know, I think uh, his downhill aggression, you know, playing with force, um, the biggest key for him is just being decisive, and he's done that as of late, um, making better decisions, I think playing with a little bit more uh, aggression. Um, so I think it's been good for him. It's been good for us. Yeah, also Taj Gibson, uh, he on Saturday night, 17 minutes, 20 seconds off the bench, 9 points, 10 rebounds, including 5 offensive boards and 3 assists versus 2 turnovers. He went 0 of 1 on 3s, 4 of 5 on 2s, and 1 of 2 on free throws. So. Five consecutive wins now for our Wizards. Uh, This may well be fool's gold, okay? But the Wizards are playing well. Uh, Next up for the Wiz is a game on Monday night at the San Antonio Spurs at 8. All right, let's get to some college basketball. A good weekend for multiple teams in the Mid-Atlantic region, including Maryland. Uh, the Terrapins improved to 14 and 7 overall and 5 and 5 in the Big 10 with an 82-63 win over Nebraska at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland on Saturday. Uh, this 19-point win over Nebraska followed the Terps 73-55 win over Wisconsin at Xfinity Center this past Wednesday night, giving the Terps their largest combined margins of victories in back-to-back Big Ten games 
since joining the conference beginning with the 2014-2015 season. Also, the Terps now have back-to-back conference wins, each by at least 15 points for the first time since January 2010. You know, Maryland has been a tough team to figure out, but you take a step back, this season is going pretty well, considering how poorly last season went, and considering that this is the Terps' first season with Kevin Willard as head coach. Uh, The Terps on Saturday led for the entire second half. They, in the first half, trailed 13-8, but then won the rest of the game 74-50. Three things that stood out from this game, free throws, turnovers, and transition points. The Terps outscored Nebraska on free throws 24-9. The Terps totaled 26 free throw attempts to Nebraska's 15, went 24-26 on free throws to Nebraska's 9 of 15. Uh, The Terps generated 15 Nebraska turnovers, outscored Nebraska in terms of points off turnovers, 26. Uh, The Terps committed just 10 turnovers. Uh, And the Terps had 22 fast break points to Nebraska's 4. A lot to like from Maryland in this game. Plenty of individual standouts for Maryland. Jameer Young, the graduate student transfer from Charlotte, a product of DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland. He in 30 minutes as a starter, one of three on threes, three of six on twos, and nine of nine on free throws. He finished with 18 points, seven assists versus two turnovers, a whopping six steals and three rebounds. Uh, The Georgetown transfer, Don Carey, he has had a really tough season, but he on Saturday in 29 minutes as a starter went four of four on threes. Now, he did go just one of four on twos, but he also went two of two on free throws. He finished with 16 points. Carey came into this game having gone just 30 of 107 on threes this season, 28.04% on threes. So good to see him do well on threes, although the rest of the Terps uh, did not do so well on threes. The rest of the Terps went just four of 19 on threes. But this was Kevin Willard during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening on Don Carey. Yeah, I mean, you know, know, it it, it was only a matter of time. I mean, you know, I I have great confidence in him. He's never stopped putting in the work. Um, it was a matter of time till he till it started. And, you know, it, he didn't get too many easy ones. He made some tough ones, which was great to see because that's what he's capable of doing. Um, and if he if he starts doing that, then I think, you know, it just gives it just opens up everything else for everybody. Yes, it does. Uh, the Terps beyond Jameer Young lack consistent scoring. But if Don Carey can somehow get going, that would be huge. Uh, Hakeem Hart on Saturday, 32 minutes as a starter, 0 of 4 on threes, but also 2 of 3 on twos, 7 of 7 on free throws. He finished with 11 points, 5 assists versus 1 turnover and 4 rebounds, including 2 offensive boards. Hakeem Hart now over Maryland's last two games, 13 assists versus two turnovers. Uh, Maryland on Saturday got production off the bench from 6'7 graduate student transfer Patrick Emelian. Uh, he in 25 minutes as a reserve, 0 of 1 on threes, 3 of 3 on twos, and 4 of 4 on free throws. He finished with 10 points, 7 rebounds, including 3 offensive boards, a block, and a steal. Uh, this was Kevin Willard during his postgame presser on Saturday evening on Patrick Emelian, who has dealt with injury for a good bit of this season. You know, he got hurt Tennessee. He really couldn't play UCLA. And he sprained his ankle. And he's out for those four games. Um, he just gives us a different dynamic in the fact that um, we can switch pick and rolls. He can slide over to the power forward. He can slide over to the center. Um, he's, you know, he was a big key of why we got off to such a really good start. 
All right. Uh, speaking of Maryland bigs, uh, 6'9", Julian Reese, uh, he on Saturday played for just 14 minutes as a starter. He, over those 14 minutes, accumulated four fouls and no assists versus two turnovers and went 0-2 on free throws. He did go 4-6 from the field, all twos. Uh, did also finish with eight points and five rebounds, including three offensive boards. And Dante Scott, 35 minutes as a starter, just a 2-7 on threes, just 2-7 on twos. He also went 2-2 on free throws. He finished with 12 points, six rebounds, including two offensive boards and two assists versus one turnover. Next up for Maryland, home to Indiana Tuesday night at 9. Georgetown over the weekend played on Sunday afternoon. The Hoyas were looking for a second consecutive win of their big win this past Tuesday night. The 81-76 triumph over DePaul at Capital Win Arena, snapping the Hoyas' 29-game losing streak in Big East regular season games. The record for the most consecutive regular season Big East losses in conference history, but the Hoyas on Sunday afternoon did not notch a second consecutive win. Uh, they came close, but uh, they ended up losing. Georgetown fell to 6-16 six and 16 overall and 1-10 in, in the Big East with a 75-73 loss at St. John's. Oh, what could have been for the Hoyas? Uh, they blew a nine-point second-half lead. Uh, Georgetown's USC Upstate transfer, Bryson Mazzone, he connected on a go-ahead contested right corner three for a 73-72 Hoyas lead with 25.2 seconds left in the second half. But the Hoyas that allowed four-star freshman A.J. Store of the Johnnies to connect on a three from near the left wing with 4.3 seconds left for a 75-73 St. John's lead. Uh, the Hoyas once again were led in scoring by Duquesne transfer Primo Spears. Uh, he, in 40 minutes as a starter, went 4-6 on threes, 6-13 on twos, and 1-2 on free throws. He finished with 25 points and two assists versus two turnovers. The Hoyas, though, went just 7-24 of 24 on threes. Spears went 4-6 on threes. Bryson Mazzone in just 12 minutes off the bench, 2-5 of five on threes. But the rest of the Hoyas, a combined 1-13 of 13 on threes. Uh, that was a problem. LSU transfer Brandon Murray, 34 minutes as a starter, just 1-5 of five on threes, and just 6-14 of 14 on twos. And he committed 5 of the Hoyas' 15 turnovers. He went 2-2 two two on free throws, finished with 17 points. Four rebounds, including three offensive boards, two assists, and two steals. Uh, as for the Hoyas, a top two big men, 6'11", Maryland transfer, Kudas Wahab, and 6'10", UConn transfer, a cook, a cook. Uh, Kudas, in just 24 minutes as a starter, fouled out and had no assists versus two turnovers. He went 5-7 from the field, all twos, 4-6 on free throws. He finished with 14 points and seven rebounds. A cook, a cook, who has been playing well, 35 minutes as a starter. Now, he went scoreless. He went 0-3 from the field. Interestingly, uh, all three of his field goal attempts were threes, but he did have seven rebounds. He did have five blocks, uh, and he had two assists versus one turnover. Uh, the Hoyas remained without a key player in Arizona State transfer, Jay Heath. Uh, he did not play for an eighth consecutive game due to a left-hand injury. Uh, no winning streak for the Hoyas. Uh, next up for Georgetown, home to Creighton, Wednesday evening at 6.30. Wahoo uh, continues to roll. Number seven, Virginia improved to 16-3 and overall and 8-2 and in the ACC with a 76-57 win over Boston College at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. The Cavaliers won their sixth consecutive game. They led for the entire second half, during which they at one point led by 27 points at 
49. Uh, more great defense from the Wahoos. They held BC to just 57 points, just 4 of 14 on threes, and just 16 of 35 on twos. The Hoos generated 16 turnovers, finished with eight steals. Uh, got some good defense off the bench from 6'11", Caden Shedrick, who for a fourth consecutive game came off the bench with UVA head coach Tony Bennett starting 6'8", Ohio graduate student transfer Ben Vanderplas. Nice to see Caden Shedrick uh, contribute in a meaningful way, uh, despite uh, having been, in a lot of ways, buried on the bench uh, lately. Uh, as for the Who's offense, uh, they went to 6-21 on threes, but they also went 24-38 of 38 on twos and finished with 20 assists versus 11 turnovers. Armand Franklin, another good game for him. 30 minutes, 28 seconds as a starter. 3-7 on threes, 3-6 on twos, 3-3 on free throws. He finished with 18 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, versus three turnovers, two steals, and a game-best plus-minus rating of a plus 30. That is a sky-high plus-minus rating. Uh, Reese Beekman, 30 minutes, 33 seconds as a starter. 0-2 on threes, did commit four turnovers, but he also went 4-4 on twos and 3-3 on free throws and also finished with 11 points and eight assists. Uh, and Jaden Gardner had his first good game in weeks, so it was nice to see this. He in just 24 minutes, five seconds as a starter, 18 points and six rebounds, including three offensive boards. He went 0-1 of on threes, 8-11 of on twos, and 2-2 two two on free throws. Jaden Gardner, over his previous six games, had totaled 37 points and had gone just 15 of 37 from the field, all twos. Uh, this is a guy who, for last season, led UVA in points per game at 15.3 and led UVA in rebounds per game at 6.4. Uh, here was Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon on Jaden Gardner. I thought he worked hard this week. This this was our bye week, and we did some things. Just thought he got back, you know, played a lot of one-on-one -on -one in the post and mid-range, and um, Coach Williford did a good job with those guys and just kind of working. And I thought, you know, just sometimes when you have a bye week, you have a chance to really go to work on your own game, some skill development, so to speak, and then, of course, working on the things you need to work on. So I think that was it. Yeah, the Cavs are really good right now. Jaden Gardner getting back to where he can be would only make the Cavs better. Uh, next up for Virginia at Syracuse, Monday night at 7. Uh, Syracuse on Saturday night was at Virginia Tech, uh, which won its second consecutive game off a seven-game losing streak. Perhaps the Hokies have righted their ship. Uh, they improved to 13-8 and overall and 3-7 and in the ACC with an 85-70 win over Syracuse at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia. Tech won the first half 52-33, led by double-digit points for the entire second half. But the Hokies went 13-32 on threes, including 11-20 of on threes in the first half. But the Hokies for the game also went a scorching 19-28 of on twos. Did go just 8-15 on free throws, but the Hokies out-rebounded Syracuse 37-26, including having 12 offensive rebounds to Syracuse's six. Uh, Hunter Couture, big game for him, 36 minutes as a starter, six of 10 on threes, two of two on free throws. He finished with 20 points, eight assists versus two turnovers and three rebounds. Uh, Grant Facili, the graduate student transfer from Wright State, he in 34 minutes as a starter, went just two of nine on threes and just one of three on free throws, but he also went nine of 14 on twos, finished with 25 points, eight rebounds, including four offensive boards and five assists 
versus three turnovers. Uh, Justin Mutz flirted with a triple-double, uh, 37 minutes as a starter, five of seven from the field, all twos, one of two on free throws. He finished with 11 points, 12 rebounds, and eight assists. He did commit four turnovers, but Couture and Mutz each having eight assists marked the first time that at least two Hokies each had at least eight assists in a game since January 26th, 2019. It had been four years since we had that. Uh, next up for Virginia Tech at number 20, Miami, Tuesday night at 7. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 497. We'll include plenty on the commanders. So we'll also talk Wizards and Virginia basketball. The Wizards at the San Antonio Spurs, Monday night at 8. The number seven Cavaliers are at Syracuse, Monday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. We've worked harder than anybody to get here. Nobody can beat us in a team, and it's worth 70000 a big brain. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.